This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Iowa discussing a haunted manor that was once a group home. Then, we'll talk about how a disturbing confession solves a murder after 25 years. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Hawkeye State. So, southeast of Omaha, in Malvern, Iowa, sits Malvern Manor. It's only about 30 minutes from the, the how you say it, the Liska Axe Murder House. I know what you're talking about. It's a rural town mm-hmm. in a heartland community, and its population is about 1,150, so it's super small. So this 10,000-square-foot, two-story, 28-room house was constructed as a home for a lumber magnate named Isaac Ringland. It was sold to a hotelier, Julia Betts, in the 1890s. So she gets to work on it, throw in some razzle-dazzle, and in the process of the construction, an old Bible is found in the cornice molding. They're not sure how it got there. Some think it was from a Masonic ritual from before when it was first built, and that they buried it there. Okay, to interrupt you real fast. You know how I still have a hole in my ceiling from the plumbing thing and they have to fix that? Did you find something in there? No, but should oh I put something creepy yes. up there? And then where it, it may, I mean, someone might never see it. Where is that picture that you found in the attic? I have that framed. Okay, we're not cool. going to put that up there. Yeah, that is really cool. You need to go up in the attic and find something creepy. And put it in there. No one there. might ever find it, but that would be funny if Someone's digging up the floorboards and they're like, oh my God, how does no, it For sure. Plant a treasure. Sorry, continue. No, I love that one. St- I thought, oh my God. I would love to find freaky so things. So disappointed. I thought you were going to say, no. I forgot to tell you what was found. Anyways, so after a year of renovations, it was opened as a hotel. People came and went all the time. It was named the Cottage Hotel and it primarily served those from the railroad. So businessmen, travelers, they would get off the train, stay in this hotel. The lobby was this grand wooden room that traveling businessmen would use as their boys club. Weddings took place here. Seances, medical clinics, no sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And funerals. Mm. So it was kind of a catch-all for anything and any event that you needed in this small town which a lot of places in the 1800s kind of served as a multi-purpose room. It's true. So in the 1930s, with people traveling more by automobiles than trains, the hotel shuts down. It was just a small train stop town, and the main roads ran through the bigger cities like Omaha. So all these little towns just kind of shut down shop. Some people speculate that their most infamous guest was the one responsible for the axe murders. In June of 1912, an unknown perpetrator slaughtered a family in Villisca, Iowa. They have no proof that this person stayed there, but it made sense that he took the train, committed the murder, 
and rode the train out of town, completely unnoticed. Trains are very, they're a good way to travel unnoticed back then. Yeah. Because you could just hop on. Oh, yeah. Like a hobo. I don't know if that's a derogatory term nowadays, but you know what I mean? Like people would just hop on. Yeah, it's and like what's that hop movie? Off. Uh, the Boxcar Kids did that. Yeah, what's that movie with what's his name? George Clooney. Yes. Oh, uh, what? What is that? Movie? Oh my god. Anyways, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can Sorry, see. Sorry, guys, I am having a. They're screaming moment. at their radios yeah. right now or their phones. Yeah. But sometimes you didn't need a ticket. You just hop on and go unnoticed and murder somebody and hop back on and boom, another town. So in the 1950s. This place became a nursing home, mm-hmm. but that didn't last long. And in the seventies, the state came in and closed the nursing home down. It was just a standard nursing home setting. People would come visit their loved ones, but the hallways weren't wide enough to transport hospital beds. So the state, wow, 20 years, it was open <laughs> okay. 20 years for them to figure out that this, this is not working. So they closed. In 1976, the house was turned into a group home. Any and all of those who were diagnosed with mental disorders were sent here. Now, this is the 70s, so it's very different than what we have today and classifies mental illness. There were drug addicts, people with Down syndrome, people with multiple personalities. There are so many documentaries about places like this that were shut down because the patients were mistreated or abused or neglected. It was just not good. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's what happened here, but we, we, yeah, we all know of these homes because there were murders, there were schizophrenics. Mm -hmm. So this place was open until 2005 when it was finally shut down for good. The manor fell into disrepair over the years and the only thing left there now are the souls of those who have passed. Mwah-ah-ah. Lots of people have come to this place over the years to investigate the paranormal. Some of those were famous people, like famous paranormal investigators mm. that I'm not going to give a shout out to because you're already famous. Oh, okay. I'm like, like who? Brad Pitt? No, <laughs> no. Famous, famous paranormal investigators. Well, not all people um, would classify them as famous, but yeah, yeah. I'm a ghosty person. so I think I probably know at least one of who you're yes. talking about. So there are allegedly five main spirits that haunt this place. Anez who was a little girl who died under mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. Gracie, who had split personalities. The man who built this place, his name is Captain Colors. A haunted doll named Rose. Oh, God. And a shadow person who likes to lunge at you and also one referred to just as number one. Okay. That's a lively bunch. Yes. So, Inez Gibson was just 12 years old in December of 1900. Her and her brother were playing in the front yard of her uncle's house. She tells her little brother, Otto, she wants to go play inside and warm up. He tells her, okay, I'll be in in a second. He goes up to the second floor playroom and finds his sister hanging from her jump rope in the closet. Oh, my gosh. There was no one else home. Just them two. Oh. Her death is listed as accidental, but no way. Here's the thing. This wasn't at the hotel. 
She never stayed in this place. She was at her uncle's house, which wasn't too far from the manor. And it was torn down and something that her spirit went over to the manor. Because a lot of people think that the manor serves as some sort of beacon for the dead. Which is terrifying. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Because another thing, I think I talked about something, if ghosts were real last week. Now it's another, if ghosts are real, if you, where you die, are you trapped where you die? Or can you like move around? Is there a barrier? Can you, you know, what are the, what are the ghost rules? I'm not staying in Arkansas. I'm going to be on a beach somewhere. (sighs) Gracie was a patient in the 1960s. She had multiple personalities back when nobody really knew what that was or how to treat it properly. She had 13 total. Staffers could hear a man's voice coming from her room at night when they walked past, and he would repeat, the devil's coming to get me. They Mm. would open the door, check on her. She would be alone. She passed away while she was a patient here. And sometimes the strong scent of urine fills her old bedroom. Oh, no. Yeah. Captain Colors was just a grumpy old man. He likes to scratch people and push them, especially women who go into the parlor room because that's only for men. Oh, my gosh. A woman called the owner of the manor one night and said she had a haunted doll. She wanted him to have it since he was the only paranormal investigator that she knew of. That's right. The owner of Malvern Manor is a man named Josh, who is a paranormal investigator. <laughs> what are the odds? Josh. But also, I i mean, who else would buy this house with all this bad juju? If it was a nice house and it was cheap, I get it. I but mean, there's a lot of bad stuff going on there. Yeah. So he agrees to take this doll from this woman, and the doll's name is Rose, and he puts her in a Tupperware bowl with the lid on it. Because <laughs> that'll keep out yes, all the demons. In, in his office. And when he comes back a few days later, the lid is off and the bowl is across the room and Rose is missing. He eventually finds her sitting in the hallway that's near the nurse's station. So he gets a glass box made for her. And that is where she is today. Well, good. She didn't want, I would not want to be in Tupperware if I were a doll. Just like Respecting. Annabelle. I don't yeah. I mean, I don't know why people don't destroy these dolls. If they're evil, I mean Isn't Annabelle in a glass case? Yeah. yeah. This is what she's that museum in Vegas. Yes. That you wouldn't let me go to because we didn't have enough time. I'd love to go. So Rose is in one of those cases too, in this haunted manner. And Robert the doll, he's in a he's in a glass, glass case. See, why just tear don't burn this shit. I just I don't know. I don't know. So the shadow man lives just past the nurse's station on the first floor in room number two. He walks through the locked door, sees who's in the hallway, and rushes towards them and disappears before he reaches them. So multiple people have seen Hmm. everything that I'm telling you about. And you can watch these episodes on whichever paranormal investigation show you choose to watch. So supposedly... This man is a patient who stayed in this room and was so mean that he would chase nurses away when they came in to check on him when he was still alive. He allegedly murdered two people while being a patient there, was highly aggressive, 
and the nurses would refuse to help him get dressed or put his shoes on because he mistreated them. Oh, man. So number one is only picked up by EVP and screams ugly, aggressive, derogatory things at those who are listening. He is most active on the second floor and growls at guests in a deep, manly voice. Also, this is recorded and you can hear this. In room number seven, there is a spirit that screams in terror because she thinks her family has abandoned her and left her there, which is so sad. In the lobby, there's an old man named Harry who pushes old wheelchairs and is heard humming like he did while he was a resident at the nursing home. Lacey doesn't believe any of this stuff. No, I find it interesting. Room 17 and 18 are really dark. Two men lived side by side in these rooms when it was a mental health facility. And supposedly after a final check at night, one man would slip into the others and would sexually assault him. Allegedly, this was debunked when a seance was held here and the man came forward and said it wasn't assault. We were in love. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the place closed in 2004 after the state found the structures. Electrical wasn't up to code. They didn't have proper records of employees or patients, food safety or preparation procedures, and they didn't take the proper steps to keep the spread of disease from happening. So it just wasn't good. They shut it down. Mm. Today, the place is open for tours and overnight investigations. Supposedly, like I said, this is a hub for supernatural. And over a hundred people have died here since the beginning, since it was built. So I'm not. That's a lot. That's a lot. So I'm not surprised that there's some spirits lurking around. Guests have reported feeling touched or groped. Rocking horses rocking on their own and sounds of things being drugged across the floor. So, you already know I believe all of this. And I want to go. I want to go. Is it open to the public? It is. You have to rent it. So, I checked it out. So Like the whole house? Yes. You go through it and like investigate it. You know, I had two ghost trips planned last year, but I didn't go on them. Mm -hmm. So, this year for sure is the year of the ghost road trips. And I think I'm going to add Iowa to I'm it now. This house right now. Yes. Because now I need to see what it looks yes. like. Yes. There's so many places I want to see. I'm kind of there's obsessed There's a lot in it. Iowa, too. You could. Yeah. There's a lot of a weird lot and macabre things. So, I mean, you can make a whole weekend out of this. Yeah. You can do the Axe Murder House. This. There's probably tons of shit along the way. Oh, I mean, we I'm go sure. through Missouri. So, this is nine hours from us. Yeah, I was looking at the map. It's not that far. I mean, Missouri is a very tall state. Yes. But yes. So just right north. We need to do this. It's $250. That's it? For 24 hours. Oh my gosh. Why can't we have that here? We don't have anything. Yeah. So one house, but some guy lives there. I mean, I wonder if he opened his whatever dialysis clinic or whatever he said. Right. That he was going to be. I want to do this. So I got to do. Where is it located in the state? South, middle, top. It's south of Omaha. It's not... Okay, so it's... It's close to where the little uh, purple tack is. Okay. That's interesting. While you were talking about that, I've never wondered this before until just now for some reason, but I wonder if the hospital where Samuel works, I know he would say no immediately, mm-hmm. um, and so would his doctor friends or whatever, but I wonder if anyone that works there has ever had any scary or like... Heard something 
unusual. Well, I mean, there's unusual things happening, but you know, like the night you, staff. I need you to get on this. I need to find someone though that we need to go is like undercover a secretary or maybe a nurse or something who isn't going to be like, it's a mental hospital. It's not ghost. <laughs> but it, I mean, I like hearing stories too. I'm telling you. Like when I went to see Robert the doll, I asked the lady who was working that day, what have you experienced here? I love hearing oh, people's sure. stories about stuff like that. Well, I always have one. I was on my list. I've, I've got to do Louisiana and Texas and yeah. I got to go north. I still want to see that Bell Witch thing in Tennessee. It's God, not that far from Tennessee Nashville. Too. We just need to do this. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm all about it. I would love to go there. I love haunted things and ha- supposed haunted places. Like I said, I'm open. I need to see these things. Plus, I'm not anti. All the cornfields up there are super oh, creepy. My God. So creepy. I don't like a cornfield. Let's take a break. Okay. Corey Winicky was born on March 25th, 1970 in Muscatine, Iowa to parents James and Susan. Corey was the golden boy of West Liberty High School. He was a football star, and like a teen movie, he was dating a beautiful cheerleader named Jody Hotz. So he was a jock, but he wasn't the popular mean kid, you know. Yeah. Everyone that knew him loved him, and he was like a big brother to everybody in the neighborhood. After he graduated in 1988, he became a bartender at his family-run bar called Wink's Bar and Grill in West Liberty. His grandparents owned it, and it's actually still run by the family today. I googled it last night to double-check. He was happy, and he enjoyed his job. He enjoyed being a bartender. You know, that was Mm -hmm. what he was happy doing. By the time he was 22, he was engaged to his high school sweetheart, Jody. Cue the awe. I wasn't going to. (laughs) I knew you were. Friends and family loved them as a couple and thought she was a good influence. In 1992, Corey and Jody moved to a farmhouse outside of town, and it was owned by her father. She worked at a bank in Iowa City during the day. Everything was going great for the couple until October 13, 1992. That evening, Jody placed a frantic call to 911 around 6 p.m. She returned home from work that day to find 22-year-old Corey beaten to death in their bedroom. Oh, my God. She called 911 right away, told them that Corey was bloody, cold, and not breathing. She told the investigator she last saw Corey that morning before she left for work around 8 a.m. At that time, he was asleep in bed. He was working nights. Mm -hmm. She was working during the day. He was going to be working that, that evening, too. So, when investigators arrived at the scene, it was apparent that someone brutally attacked Corey with what they suspected to be an aluminum baseball bat. Oh, God. Yeah. He was bludgeoned to death. Most of the bludgeoning was on the head. Burglary was immediately ruled out because nothing was missing. Nothing was out of place. Wasn't a break-in or anything like that. The next day, an aluminum baseball bat was found on the side of the road, not far from the house. It also had blood stains on it that ended up matching Corey's. But no fingerprints and no DNA from anybody else. So they had zero leads. And like I said, everybody loved Corey. He had no enemies. No one had any idea who this was that killed him. 
So a farmer who lived nearby told authorities he had driven up and down the road near Corey's house that morning, the morning that he was killed, and he said the bat appeared on the road sometime between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. So that narrows down the time when Mm -hmm. the murder occurred. After investigators talked to Corey's co-workers at the bar, they found out that he was last seen leaving at closing time on the morning of October 13th with his friend, Wendy Marshall. So Wendy was interviewed, and she said that when they were leaving the bar, they were confronted by a woman who also worked at the bar sometimes, 29-year-old Annette Hazen. So she was also a regular, and she was there that night, and it was apparent that she was drunk, and Corey offered to give her a ride home. Wendy was also with him at the time. Okay, I was like, no! Yeah. So during the ride, Annette became agitated and was arguing with Corey. At one point, she jumped out of the vehicle. So he pulled over, she got back inside, and at this point, he told Wendy, okay, I'm going to drive you back to the bar so you can get your car, and then I'm going to take care of her because this is this is a mess, you know. So he dropped Wendy off at the bar and drove Annette home. Before authorities could even bring Annette in for questioning, she showed up at the station to give a statement. She told them that she and Corey were in a casual sexual relationship. No. Yeah. She said their argument in the car was because she was jealous that he was hanging out with his other female co-worker, Wendy. That tracks. Yeah. It's true. She claims they made up and ended up having sex that night. Annette also claims she spent the next day working a roofing job with her sister-in-law, who corroborated the story. Also, two women doing a roofing job. Good for them. Good for I them. I would never do that. So she said she stopped by Corey's that morning, the morning he died. At his house, he shares with his wife, wife or, fiance. or fiance. Yeah, fiance. <gasps> she knew she'd be at work. So Corey. I know. I'm disappointed in that. But he didn't answer the door, according to her. They asked her to take a polygraph test, and she passed. I know. It's like, who cares? Who cares? I'm not doing this now. For 25 years, the murder investigation went nowhere. Shut up. That's where it ended. The only two people to see him that night had alibis. Jody had an alibi. That's it. No one knew. Until 2017, a woman named Jessica Becker, and this is so wild to me, met with the Iowa Department of Criminal Investigation to tell them about a distressing memory from her childhood. She said when she was nine years old, nine, she attended a sleepover with a little girl who happened to be Annette's niece. And Annette also lived at the residence. Uh So little nine-year-old Jessica, in the middle of the night, went downstairs and heard Annette crying. And she was lighting black candles, which, why are they black candles? What? How? Ugh, I know. And she was apologizing to Corey. Corey wasn't there. She was just speaking out loud. She's crying and she's talking. He was summoning. Yeah, she's crying. She's talking. I'm so sorry. Can you imagine a year younger than Max, him witnessing something like this? No. He would have told me. That motor mouth. He can't (laughs) keep a secret. He is his mother's child. (laughs) She heard Annette say, I'm so sorry, Corey. I never meant to hurt you. I loved you, Corey. I never meant to kill you. Oh, my gosh. Just in a house with people in it, lighting black candles. 
out in the open. So Jessica did tell her mom. Okay. But they were too scared to report it to the police. And this is why, because, and her mom later said, because of how brutal Corey's murder was. Oh, yeah. They were terrified that Annette, a woman. Would come after them. Could kill a man. Like, Corey was a football dude, you know? He was not a small guy. And she wasn't a big girl. So the the fact that he could be bludgeoned to death by her. Okay, but wait. The wife said he was in bed asleep. He was in bed asleep when she left to work. So that was at 8 a.m. So she left. He was murdered between 9 and 1. So the slumber party was possibly the night of the murder or a different night. It could have been a different night. It wasn't necessarily. It wasn't like. Okay, okay, okay. I imagine it was very close to the time of the murder, though. It was after news reported how he died and stuff. Uh So her mom was like, I think we need to keep this quiet. We don't want, you know, her to come for us because she brutalized a big dude. With a with a baseball baseball bat. bat. Yeah. So twenty seventeen investigators tracked down Annette, who remarried and was now known as Annette Cahill. And she was living in Tipton, Iowa. She was a grandma at this point. I mean wild. Annette was asked to meet with the Iowa DCI agents and then she told them a completely different version of events than she had in 1992. So she claimed Corey was the love of her life and that together they planned to buy a bar and start a new life together. During another interview at Annette's house, she told them that she knew Corey would never leave his fiance Jody. And then they told her about Jessica Becker and how she confessed to them about what happened when she was nine. And Annette immediately screams, leave, I'm calling my lawyer. She had no idea mm-hmm. there was a witness mm-hmm. to that. Annette was arrested on May 31st, 2018 and charged with first degree murder. She was tried the next year. During the trial, prosecutors alleged that she murdered him in a fit of rage because she was jealous of his relationships with different women. Corey's fiance Jody testified that Corey was a lot of fun to be around, and she indicated she was aware he was having relationships with other women, but still loved him. I mean, you have to think, too, she was 22. I'm not, ex- you know, it's yeah. like she's so young. And this has been her boyfriend since high school. Yeah, I mean, that it'd be hard to break up with someone and you're engaged to be married, but she said she overlooked a lot of things so she kind of figured but it wasn't like he told her anything and she never confronted him about it so the trial ended with a deadlock jury and was concluded to be a mistrial you have to think there's no evidence Uh it's just a woman a now woman saying when i was nine i heard her say this so i mean what are you going to put her in prison for on first degree murder all these years later yeah exactly So a second trial happened in September 2019 when another witness came forward. Scott Payne, who was Annette's brother's friend, claimed he saw her burning bloodstained clothes that same day. Why are y'all waiting so long? I know. When asked why he didn't notify police, Scott told the jury, I tried to avoid the police as often as I could. I read some articles that he was into drugs at the time. But I mean, murder versus drugs... But that's the thing with, Different departments. <laughs> with a lot of cases is 
people won't come forward and won't say anything over because yeah. they're scared they're going to get in trouble yeah. for some bullshit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, Scott, no one's going to look into your drug records for no whatever. One, no one cares that you have marijuana on you yeah. or trying to solve a murder. Right. So, shockingly, she was eventually found guilty of second-degree murder and was sentenced to a maximum of 50 years in prison. Oh, my god! I'm kind of surprised that she was sentenced because still... That's just him saying hearsay. A long time ago, I saw her burning bloody clothes. Like, who's? How do you prove that? Yeah, that's kind of. I'm like, uh, it sounds like she probably did it. But at the same time, as a jury member, I'd be like, I'm going to sentence a woman to 50 years over two people who, all these years ago, yeah, allegedly heard her say this. I wouldn't feel good about putting no. someone away for that. I don't know. But You're not. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, for me. not me either. Unless there's more evidence that we don't know about. She's now 57 years old and incarcerated at the Iowa Correctional Institution for Women. And to this day, she maintains her innocence and has filed an appeal of her conviction. I wouldn't be surprised if she won her appeal. because It's a weak case. Seems like a lot of circumstantial... I mean, not even evidence, but just... I know. I'm not saying I think she's innocent, but it's like, it doesn't matter if you can't prove it. Right. In my opinion. I'm like, jeez. I mean, anybody can say they saw any... Yeah. Anybody do anything. That's kind of scary, too, to think about. Well, yeah. But what gets me is he must have been... I don't... Like, how did she do it? You know? Sneak up on him? Or if he's asleep? I didn't... Find if the door was locked or not, you know, sneaking in and then hitting him there. And there would have been blood everywhere. Yeah, and there was. Yeah. But they didn't search her house after the murder or anything like that. She came in and gave a statement, passed the polygraph, and her sister-in-law gave her a fake alibi. But, yeah. Makes you wonder, why would the sister-in-law give the fake alibi? I always wonder why people give fake alibis. (laughs) I mean... I, I don't don't ask me to be your alibi. I'm not going to do it. Well, we've established I can't keep a secret. I might tell so. you I will, <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> so there's actually a dateline that aired last year about this case called The Black Candle Confession. It's season 28, episode 16. Ew. Yeah. And The Black Candle, something about that. I'm just like. It's creepy. It's hard enough to find black candles when it's not Halloween. Well, I guess it was October. Maybe that's how she found them. But still, back then, just finding black candles. She, yeah. I don't know. But I thought that was kind of creepy that a little girl happened to hear someone confessing about killing someone. I guess she's felt like now I'm safe, you know. I would start to wonder as I got older, was that real? Was that a real memory? You know what I mean? Because your memory changes so much each time you think about a memory. But if it's something that you, I, I mean, mean, that's it's pretty disturbed distinct. you. Yeah. That you can't forget it. Yeah. And the murder's still unsolved, but. Mm. Well, I have a true crime headline. Oh, good. This just happened. Did you see this? This uh, Michigan jury convicted a school shooter's mother of involuntary manslaughter. For killing four students in 2021, making her the first parent in the United Wait, States to be held responsible for her child carrying out a mass school attack. I'm so confused. What? Yes. So, um, was a mother involved? No. 
No. Okay, I'm interested. Prosecutors say Jennifer Crumbly had a duty under state law to prevent her son, who was 15 at the time, from harming others. She was accused of failing to secure a gun and ammunition at the home and failing to get help to support Ethan Crumbly's mental health. Which makes me go, does this mean that we are going to start prosecuting everyone who doesn't properly secure or lock away a handgun or any gun that a child gets a hold of? And shoots another child or shoots another person. You hear that all the time. Where like the five-year-old gets the gun and shoots the three-year-old and the parents asleep in the next room. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very slippery. Someone that was older than me that went to the same school as me a long time ago when he was, I don't know, remember how old he was. He was a teenager, but it was him and a friend playing around with Mm -hmm. a gun. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the exact situation Mm -hmm. that went down, but he accidentally shot himself and died oh my god just and it's like you're, you don't necessarily have to be a little kid you can just be you can, yeah think it's unloaded or not know uh-huh. how to use it and be like oh mm-hmm. ha ha let's see if this thing's loaded it's so scary so four guilty verdicts one for each student that was killed at oxford high school were returned after roughly 11 hours of deliberation <sighs> jennifer crumbly 45 looked down and shook her head as each juror polled after the verdict was read So, Jennifer and James Crumbly were the first parents in the United States to be charged with a mass school shooting committed by their child. They weren't even there. James Crumbly faces his trial in March. The cries have been heard, and I feel the verdict is going to echo throughout every household in the country, said Justin's father outside the courtroom. I feel it's necessary, and I'm happy with the verdict. It's still a sad situation to be in, but it's got to stop. It's called accountability, and this is what we've been asking for for a long time now. A gag order by the judge prevented McDonald and defense attorney Shannon Smith from speaking to reporters. So on the morning of November 30th, 2021, school staff members were concerned about a violent drawing of a gun, bullet, and wounded man accompanied by desperate phrases on Ethan Crumbly's math homework. Oh, my gosh. His parents were called to the school for a meeting, but they didn't take him home with them, which is a red flag. You should have taken him somewhere, taken him to a hospital to get him to help, to talk to some mental health counselor. Anyways, a few hours later, same Same day, day, Ethan pulls a handgun from his backpack and shot 10 students and a teacher. No one checked his bag. He's in the principal's office with his parents, principal, all the people. No one looked at his bag and they left him at school. And the gun was in his bag the whole time. It was a Sig Sauer 9mm that his father had purchased him just four days before. So it was his gun. It was his gun. Oh my God. Jennifer Crumley had taken her son to the shooting range that same weekend. So outside the courthouse, a jury for a woman who declined to give her name said the jurors were influenced that Jennifer was the last adult to possess the gun. The jury saw images of Jennifer leaving the shooting range with the gun in a box. You saw your son shoot the last practice round before school shooting in November the 30th. You saw how he stood. You knew he knew how to use the gun, said the prosecutor. Yes, I did, she said. In her closing arguments, 
McDonald said she filed the unprecedented charges because of the unique facts leading to the massacre. School officials insisted they would not have agreed to keep Ethan at school that day if the parents had shared information about owning the gun, which the boy on social media called his beauty. The words with the disturbing drawing said, These thoughts won't stop. Help me. My world is dead. My life is useless. That's what the math paper said. With the gun and the bullet. And he turned that in. Like, they, that was yeah. his homework. So, to me, that immediately is like the him crying for help. The prosecutor said he way. literally drew the picture of what he was going to yeah. do. And it says, help me. 17-year-old Justin uh. Schilling, 17-year-old Madison Baldwin... Hannah St. Juliana, who was 14, and Tate Meyer, who was 16, were also killed. Seven people were wounded. Oh, my gosh. Ethan is now 17. He pled guilty to murder and terrorism and is serving a life sentence. Jennifer told jurors that it was her husband's job to keep track of the gun. She also said she saw no signs of mental distress on her son. She said, we would talk. We did a lot of things together. I trusted him, and I felt like I had an open door. He could come to talk to me about anything. In a journal found by police, Ethan wrote that his parents wouldn't listen to his pleas for help, which makes me want to cry. I have zero help for my mental problems, he said, and it's causing me to shoot up the school. Oh, gosh. Prosecutors introduced evidence that Ethan texted his mother in spring of 2021 about demons, throwing bowls, and other hallucinations. But she told the jury that that was just Ethan messing around. Okay, that is like, mm, don't don't love that. Mm-mm. That's definitely ignoring his pleas for help. And there's a lot of this on like court TV. You can pull up like this trial and stuff, and and it it does seem like she was very dismissive yeah. of his mental problems. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't take teenagers very no. seriously. No. The jury of six men and six women included people who did own guns or grew up with them in their home. Jennifer will get credit for two and a half years that she served in county jail. She returns to sentencing on April the 9th. The judge will set a minimum prison sentence based on scoring guidelines and other factors. It will be up to the Michigan Parole Board to determine how long she stays in prison. Maximum term is 15 years. Prosecutors have not said if they will ask for consecutive sentences on the four convictions, which could mean a maximum of 60 years if the judge agrees. Hmm. This whole thing is sad for everybody involved. It's a very slippery slope for gun owners, too. You know, I grew up with guns. I went to shooting ranges. My dad, my stepdad, was military. We, he was an avid hunter. We had handguns we had bows we had shotguns we had all of those things and he did keep them locked up and put away and we did learn mm-hmm. about gun safety yeah. and how to never you know that's very you're important. not playing with yeah. it you're not picking it up you don't have any you know clearly this child so so with me saying that the reason why i said that is i don't fault the parents for taking him to a gun range buying him a gun all of those things they, yeah, I mean, a they didn't of, know he was going to kill anybody, much no. less shoot up a school. Right. And if you are from a family who has guns and owns guns, I personally don't 
now, but when mm-hmm. I lived at home with my mom and stepdad, had tons of guns in the house. Yeah. This kid had mental illness. Yeah. They and ignoring his mental illness was yes. On them, I mean, adults fail them all the way around. Yeah. His parents, his teachers, his I yeah. Mean, I mean, I'm not there. I don't know. Maybe he joked around a lot, and they. But still, it's the fact remain. He wrote that he needed help, and I'm. I'm also not saying he's innocent. Of, no, you know what I mean. It's no, a no, sticky no. situation. It's, it is. It's a very like I said. It's a slippery slope, and I'm not defending anybody or anybody's actions. Um, but a kid doesn't want to shoot a school. Out of nowhere, like right, they don't just wake up one no. day and decide. Well, I mean, they kind of do, but I mean, like something's going on internally with them over sure. time. It's not just a snap, it's, yeah, and they're a bad person all of a sudden. It's just one of this is one of those instances, like we have talked about, where putting this seventeen-year-old in prison is not helpful. He needs mental rehabilitation. He is not going to benefit by being locked up for the rest of his life with some pretty bad, awful, awful people. Not saying that he he's not an awful person, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? He needs, in my opinion, he needs doctor help. He needs mental evaluation. And I'm not saying he's not getting that. I don't know. I'm talking out of my ass, but. Yeah, it's, it is a slippery slope on the mother did not shoot anyone she didn't know he was shooting anyone she didn't hand him the gun but here's the thing she okay so gosh that's just like if you watch if you you're gonna have to look this case up and watch a little bit because there are definitely and i'm not going into all that y'all can look it up on your own um there are definitely instances in the court proceedings where she says things and acts a certain way that make me cock my head and go, uh, no. Yeah, yeah, like something's not adding up with what she's saying. Yes, like, no, that, no, that's not okay. Yeah. You, you kind of knew he's not lying about, I, yeah. I tried to get help and nobody helped me. And which I guess, is so too, sad. they're taking it seriously when they're like, we've got to do something and they're kind of maybe making an example out of her. Well, and they didn't take, well, his parents didn't take it serious when he was called to the school. Yeah. If that were Max and they had a drawing that he, girl, that's I like one of those like, things. Go back to class. We're going home. Like we need to have a mental health day. Yes. Like, we, why on, don't let's... we go to the emergency room and talk to somebody about maybe getting you on some medication or yeah. check you into some. And he was 15 at this yeah, time. He's God. 17 now. Yeah. 15. 15 is so young. It It is. Like I said, I, I know people who have been like, every teenager's depressed, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no. Don't so, disregard. Don't disregard it. And there's levels to this. Sure. Just like there is for adults. Like You don't know. Which is why I get really irritated about people that constantly cry wolf. I can't take yeah. it anymore. I'm just going to end my life. And I'm like, don't, you know what? Yeah. Don't even say that because there are really people out there that are struggling, and this mm-hmm. is not a buzzword for you to throw around. It's hurtful. Or a joke. Like, or a joke. Yeah. So today is February the 7th, mm-hmm. and there have already been seven school shootings in 2024. Two people killed, 14 injured. Yep. Already been seven this year. I didn't even know. I thought yeah. there was You don't one. watch it on the news. Yeah. I mean, well, it is. It's like, you know, it's, people don't even bat their eyes, unless it's like, 
the biggest. Yeah. Which is fucking terrible. There were 38 last year. We're already at seven. Oh, man. In 2022, there were 51. I couldn't, you know, I mean, obviously I can go on and on about these statistics, which are terrifying to any parent. And it's a very emotionally charged subject for sure. And I'm not debating gun control with you people. And I'm not talking about arming teachers or school security. It's just, it's terrible. Yeah. And it's terrifying, whichever side you're on. I don't know the answers. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Anyways, this woman, yeah, she's convicted of involuntary manslaughter. So maybe, maybe like you said, have to. I mean, you can't, not every parent knows anything's wrong at all, even, right. you know, with their child. So they can't all be blamed, but yeah, ugh, the people from other countries are like, good God, America. Uh, for, for real. And we know, we agree. We agree. Oh, Lord. It's, I mean, I've obviously always been terrified of stuff like that, but now having a kid where I'm like, he's going to be going to a preschool in a few send, years. Yeah. I mean, I have to send my kid to school, which has been also a hot, Ugh. hot button for oh, me yeah. is to, do I let him take his phone to school? Yeah. Because then I think, oh, dear God, what if something happened? It would make me oh, feel better God. to think that yeah. he, ha- I mean, like I'm tearing up even thinking about it, to have his phone on him to be able to call me. Yeah. Or pull a Yancey and talk into his, an iWatch. <laughs> no, for real. Yeah. Anyway, fuck. We got to change the subject. I'm going to start crying. Do you have any good news for us? Uh, yeah. I hate to transition into Patreon stuff after I, that please, very heavy conversation. Please. So we do have a new patron. And Yay. she's from Arkansas. Awesome. Her name is Sam. Sam C. Cool. Yes. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Sam. I had to Google the uh, city because I'd never heard of it before. Are you going to tell me? Well, I just don't say still, the city. Don't, Thank don't, you, yeah. Sam. Thanks, Sam. Um, You need to put up our Patreon poll. I know. I was socials. just thinking about that today. So we can. Um, I was just thinking about that. We got to get started on this. Oh, what our Patreon's going to be for? I feel like we record one and we have to immediately turn around. That's how it feels. It's tough. Let me tell y'all. We definitely could not do multiple Patreon episodes. Oh here. no, we're already. What's that phrase? I don't know. Well, we I record nine episodes a month. That's yeah, a lot. It is. So I uh, saw the previews for. Lisa Frankenstein. Have you seen that? I just saw an ad today that on looks, my computer. When did, where did that come from? I don't know, but it looks super cute. I want to go watch it. So cute. That just out of nowhere. I'm like, wait, I what think, is this? I think I saw it today too. Really random. It looks really good. I also saw an ad for Quiet Place Day One. So it's like a prequel to A Quiet Place. You know, the movie? Uh, I don't, We only watched the first one, not the second, but. Yeah. So it's like, that looks super good too. I had a lot of questions, so I would like to see the prequel. Yeah. So, oh, for sure. Like, Same. What, are, what are these? <laughs> and then she has the baby and can't talk, and then the baby's quiet. I'm oh. like, yeah, right. You Could you imagine murdered. me with my colicky no. baby? Oh, hell no. It'd be you would get two murdered. seconds. He Listen. came out screaming, still screaming 10 weeks mm-hmm. later. I would not survive in that land. Listen, I tell Max oh all the time because Max cannot. He has been that way oh. since he could talk. If I'm like, shh, he's like, why are you? And he starts whispering. I'm like, no, shut up. Like, I'm trying to tell you to be quiet. Or he'll start giggling. Oh, my God. I'm like, you, if we had to hide, of course, now he's 10 and he loves scary movies like me. And I'm like, if we had to hide from Jason, 
you would get us murdered because you can't a stop talking, whispering, and also giggling. Oh my god! We would never make it in a quiet place oh, either. No. We we would both die. <laughs> uh, well, I'm clumsy. I would trip and make a noise. Oh, I would sure. have to cough or something. Oh. Always. Oh yeah, I would definitely have to cough. Um, Super Bowls this weekend. Well, it'll already be when we when this is released. Do you have Super Bowl plans? Um, my cousin is coming this. Saturday, so we're gonna. She's gonna watch it with us, but oh, not it'll like, be fun. Not like a like party. a party. Yeah, no. we've got a Super Bowl party to go to. Oh, that's so fun. It'll be fun. Are you supporting either team? I mean, honestly, I'm supporting the 49ers because Arkansas. Most people here support the Cowboys or the, or Chiefs, the Chiefs. Yeah, because we are we're kind of bordering yeah. those states, and we don't have our own NFL yeah. team. Um, Samuel's a Chiefs fan. Yeah. And most of our family, all of our family is actually like the license plates. Oh, the, the, my like the gear. Lord. Like literally their pets have uh-uh. Mahomes little jerseys or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's funny. I think it'll be a good game. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. I'm it'll looking forward to it. I'm ready to bust out my millennial Ursher. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. Lord. And Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday's. In just a few days. I know. We may have to revisit Catholic Corner. We may. I'll <laughs> think of some good questions to ask you. Oh, my gosh. Um. What else? What else? Uh, we're in Delaware next week. We are. Heather, we got a message from Heather P. She replied on Spotify. Uh-huh. She said she loved the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City review. So, thank you very much. And I'll keep them coming as I go. Yes. I just finished season two's reunion. She's hooked. You're the one Mary didn't go to. You're only two. Coward. You're only no. two. Se- <laughs> Coward. You're like two seasons for me. Their dresses up. are so. Girl. I mean, I haven't watched a reunion just in a long wait. time, but I'm like, these are ridiculous. Just the wait. feathers. Jim oh. Shaw's feathers. I'm like. She looks like, what's her name from? Um, oh, oh, what is that show? It's the Disney movie, Emperor's New Groove. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I don't know her name either, but yes, I know exactly who you're talking about. Lord, oh, my like, Girl, that's the look. Yeah, well. All that money. All that and they have stylists. Surely. <laughs> Surely they have stylists. I don't know. And then I know what I know now. Like, she's yes. in prison watching that. I'm like, oh, yes. boy. Yes. And there was a picture released on – released. There was a picture on Instagram today where she is – photographed with Elizabeth, um, what's her face, that that had the pretend medical thing. What is her name? Uh, oh, my gosh. I have to Google it. Are they in the same prison? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. What are they doing? What kind of prison are they in? I mean, it's like Elizabeth Holmes. Yes, Elizabeth Holmes. She was the one that had the um, pretend biotech mm-hmm. company like blood testing, Theranos or whatever. Hashtag fraud friends. Exactly. Oh, my God. Tell me about your fraud. Oh, my God. talk fraud over a split cigarette in a cell (laughs) (laughs) that was delivered by a cockroach. (laughs) We got to go. Lacey's spiraling. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Happy V-Day. Bye.